we are continuing the journey through the book of Exodus, just to kind of let you know where we're at and where we're going, the past couple of weeks we have been really looking at God's people as they've been praising him, as they've started to be molded into his image, as they're starting to learn more and more about who he is and what that means for them. And over the next three weeks, the narrative of Exodus actually shifts to now focus on a different character that we're going to spend actually the next seven weeks looking into, and that is the character of Moses. Uh, You guys may have heard me mention uh, a couple different times uh, throughout our study together that Moses is a picture of the Messiah. I've called him a messianic figure, which is kind of an odd word. You don't use messianic in your everyday language. But really, it's just a way of saying when you look at Moses, you get a glimpse of what Christ would do when he would come. So as we are studying Moses and we're seeing all the things that he's doing, and not just all the things he's doing, but what is God teaching him? What is God trying to grow in him to be able to do? What does God expect of Moses? All these things are giving us a picture of what God would fulfill in Christ later. So over chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20, the next three weeks, we're going to really kind of hone in on what does this picture of God's Messiah look like in Moses. And then as the calendar turns to April, John and I are actually going to take turns preaching through the book of Colossians to say, okay, we got a picture of it in the Old Testament in Moses. As we build towards Easter, we're going to get a picture of it in the New Testament in the person of Jesus himself because Paul, as he's writing the letter to the church at Colossae, he just explodes on all of this. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did. This is what this means for us. So we're going to we're going to spend the next about a month and a half really getting to know a picture from the Old Testament and the reality of the New Testament over who Jesus is and what he came to do. And that is, that's going to set us up real well for when we come back to Exodus and we get into the laws. And we have to talk about why did God give his people all these laws? What was he trying to accomplish? What, what do they teach us if Christ fulfilled the law? Do we not need it anymore? Just... It really behooves us to understand who is God's Messiah. What did he come to do? Why did God send him? And this is where we're going to be going over the next couple weeks because, man, guys, this is the exodus itself of the people being delivered. I've, I've said that's, that's one of the maybe smaller climaxes in the book of Exodus. But, man, as we start to talk about the picture of who God's Messiah is, we are, we are for sure hitting another, another build in this book. So today, and, and each of the weeks, this is part one, if you will, but they, they all just kind of flesh out the picture a little bit more fully, right? We're, we're not going to try to tackle the whole concept of God's Messiah in one Sunday. So today, where we're going is we're going to see how God sent his Messiah to lead us to glorify him and to reconcile us as his image bearers. So two pieces of the puzzle that we're going we're gonna to put together this morning. God sent his Messiah. He sent Jesus to lead us to glorify him and to reconcile us as his image bearers. And we're going to see this, interestingly enough, in the dialogue between a man and his father-in-law in Exodus chapter 18. So beginning in verse 1, we see Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. 
The name of the one was Gershom, for he, he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You will not be able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the matter at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Father, we're grateful this morning that your servant Moses recorded this, this conversation, this, this time he spent with his father-in-law. Lord, I have, I've always been tempted to either kind of read over this or to just use this as a, uh, my text proof for being able to delegate things to people. Uh, but Father, as we, as we dive into your word this morning and we get to see just the wisdom that Jethro shares and where Moses was at and what you desired of him, Father, may we get to see the picture 
of why your Messiah is necessary. What, what were you trying to do for us through Christ? Lord, may we be able to understand your word this morning. And, and as we get to know it, Father, may we be drawn more and more deeper into your presence, into pressing into Christ today. In your name we pray. Amen. So guys, as we are kind of looking at this conversation between Moses and his father-in-law, we get the first part of the picture, how God sent his Messiah to lead us to glorify him. So one of the things that God did when he sent Jesus to, to us, when he sent Moses to the Israelites, is he, de he determined my Messiah figure is going to lead my people to glorify me. And so if we watch the interaction between Jethro and Moses in verse 12, we see Jethro is coming to meet Moses. Right? And he's bringing Moses' wife and Moses' two sons with him. Moses, most, most scholars think he probably sent his wife and his sons back around the time he started to go before Pharaoh. Uh, Moses probably knew Pharaoh's probably not going to take these words well. There's a lot of hard stuff coming on the land of Egypt. Uh, Zipporah and boys, it might be better if you go spend some time with your family for a little bit while daddy kind of takes care of this. So he sent them back to be with, with their family at some point, And Jethro says, it's time they go back with you, Moses, in verses 1 and 2. So he brings them to Moses, and as Moses sees Jethro coming near and he hears word that Jethro's approaching in 5 and 6, he goes out and he bows down to Jethro. He greets him with a kiss in verse 7, and he brings him into his tent and kind of, you know, they catch up on everything that they've missed in each other's lives in verses 8 and 9. And as Moses does this, we see something really cool in Jethro. We see that Jethro praises God for delivering and redeeming the, the people of Israel. So he, he recognizes God is the one that has done all of this in verse 10. We see that he acknowledges rightly who God is. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He's in verse 11. And he brings a burnt offering. He brings a sacrifice to God. And he, he gets to join in with the elders of Israel in verse 12. This is, this is super cool. There's a lot to unpack in this section of the details of Moses meeting with his father-in-law. How do we get from that to a place of what God has sent his Messiah to do? Uh, if you're thinking about your interactions with your father-in-laws, it might be a little bit difficult to try to connect the two dots. Um, I don't know if he's listening or not. I'll say I do have a wonderful father-in-law, so it was not as difficult to do this. Um, thank you, Emerson. A couple really, really key things going on in this text, guys. Moses begins very consistently throughout his time with Jethro. He testifies to who God is and what he's done. Do you remember last week how we talked about how when, when we see names recorded in the Old Testament, a lot of times the names were given intentionally to teach us about something or remind us about something, or not us, to remind the one giving the names and the future generations of Israel to, to think about God. It's, it's not an accident that Moses recounts the names of his sons at the beginning of chapter 18. And, and look, at, look at the names that he uses. You can suggest them to your kids for your grandkids. The name of one was Gershom, which is the Hebrew noun meaning sojourner or stranger. The name of the other son was Eliezer, which is a it's a Hebrew phrase that's packed up in one word, and it's translated, my God, a help. 
So in the names of Moses' sons, the name Gershom, stranger, he testifies to the reality that we've been made for life with God, but we've been broken apart from that. That, that God, we were meant to be with you, but currently we are, we are broken apart from you because his son was born while they were in Egypt still. God, we are living in slavery. We are not yet in your presence. So while I am here, I am a stranger on this earth. I am a wanderer. I am a traveler. I am in need of my purpose. I don't really belong here because, God, I belong with you. He named his son that to remind himself and to teach his son and his family God, we don't really belong here. We really belong with you because we were, we were made to be with you. His second son, he named Eliezer, which his, his second son was born after, in the middle of the, the deliverance and, and being carried out. And, and Eliezer testifies that God is the one who makes our restoration possible, that God is indeed our help. He's the one who delivers. He's the one who redeems. And then Moses goes on after reminding us of the names of his sons. He shows how he, he told all of this to his father-in-law. We see in verse 8, he says, He told Jethro all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon him in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. He just gives Jethro the account of, here's everything I've seen God do. And here's everything I've been learning about who God is and what he's done in my life. He's, he's not walking through the four spiritual laws. He's not walking through a grand picture of the gospel. He's just telling his father-in-law, this is who I have seen God to be. This is what God has been teaching me. So you see Moses giving glory to God by simply testifying to who he is and what he's done. You also see he's, he's glorifying God by honoring his creation. Okay, think about who Moses and Jethro were to each other. Jethro was the priest of Midian. So there's a, a nation that was kind of near Egypt, near Israel, the Midianites. Joseph was, or Joseph, Jethro was their priest. So it, it, people go back and forth as to, well, was he, did he really know who God was or did he just think the God of the Israelites was one of the different gods? Most likely he was a pagan priest in our understanding. He, he may have known about the God of Israel, may have not. But he was the priest of a nation. So Jethro had some standing when he came to visit his son-in-law. But Moses also has some standing. Moses is the one that God used to deliver his people. Moses is the, the one that God has been using to provide for his people in the wilderness. Moses is the one who is leading the entire nation of Israel. Not just as their priest, but he is the one who is leading the whole nation. Right? So Moses also has a very high standing before his father-in-law. It wouldn't have been crazy, especially because his father-in-law is coming to him to meet him on his turf, that he would be bowing to Moses. And yet we see in verse 7, Moses goes out to meet his father-in-law. He bows down. He gives him a kiss, the Hebrew culture for a sign of respect, of, of humility. And not only does he do this, he brings him into his tent. He, he humbles himself before his father-in-law. He, he gives honor to his father-in-law for who his father-in-law is. And his father-in-law is not part of the people of God that he's giving honor to. And then he brings them into his tent. It is an amazing picture of not only is Moses just trying to tell his father-in-law about who God is and what he's done, he's also honoring who his father-in-law is as one of God's creation. 
And, and the coolest, perhaps, part of all of this is he glorifies God by leading his father-in-law to glorify God. In verse 10, you see that Jethro praises God. Verse 11, you see that he says, now I know. You know, maybe I thought at one time the Lord was like one of a bunch of all these other gods, but I know now he is greater. He is greater than all gods. And in verse 12, we're told he gives a burnt offering. Now, why why is the burnt offering a big deal? To, to give you guys a little bit of a snapshot into the future, in Exodus chapter 29, verses 15 through 18, God gives the Israelites the burnt offering as the establishment of what, what act do they need to perform to satisfy God's justice, right? So the death that the people rightfully deserved because of their sin, it was satisfied in the, the animal that was offered as part of the burnt offering. The, the burnt offering was essentially their legal act that would make them right with God. So Moses is leading his father-in-law not just to understand who God is and what he's done, not just to praise God for who he is and what he's done, but to literally be made right with by giving the sacrifice that would have justified him before God. And, and what a way for us to give glory to God by leading other people to give glory to God. So what we see in this, guys, a picture of God's Messiah, Moses, for his people, Israel, and the things that he's doing with his father-in-law, really what, what this means for us, if I could boil it down to, to one, one bit, it would be the way that we see Christ is going to affect the way we see our salvation. In fact, the way we see Christ molds the way we see our salvation. And we get a picture of what God sees our salvation as in the way that Moses is interacting with his father-in-law. But guys, the way, the way we think about who Jesus is to us affects the way we think about our salvation, which in turn affects the way we live as Christians. Um, just to give you two examples, and there are many, but, but two examples, ones that I've come into contact with probably most often, we like to think of Christ as our Savior, and He is. But if we purely think about Christ as our Savior, we make our salvation something that we just receive, right? And if salvation is only something that we receive, it's really hard to understand, then why do I need to glorify God? Like, if He's, if he's forgiven me and He's given this thing to me, like, I, I appreciate that, God, thank you, but why do I need to, you know, then turn around and make my whole life be about you. Like, if you've already given me this salvation, why, why do I need to glorify you? If we think of Christ only as Lord, which is a, another fairly common one, and he is, he is Lord, if we only think about him as Lord, then our salvation kind of becomes this standard of perfection that we cannot live up to, right? That, that he has set the bar up here, that we're supposed to try to get to that. And, and then again, we fall into the same trap of, well, God why would you want me to glorify you if you've set the bar so high I can never even get there, right? So if, if we purely think about Christ in just one of the many things that he is, it, it doesn't lead us to really understand why, why should we be giving glory to God. But the picture of our salvation in Christ is different. And the way that Moses leads Jethro to react, it's, it's different, that that. Christ is not just Savior. He's not just Lord. He's, he's actually he's a combination of a lot of things for us. And we see, 
We see that when we admit our sin and we, we call upon the name of Christ, we receive our salvation at once because of what Christ has done in our place. This fancy word, justification. As Jethro praises, God has delivered us. So Jethro sees, hey, in salvation, there's deliverance, right? We are physically being delivered, physically being redeemed from the sin right there, right in front of you, and he praises God for it, justification. When we receive Christ's gift of the Holy Spirit as the mark of our salvation, then we start to grow. We start to grow into the image and the nature of God, and this is the process of what we would call sanctification. As Jethro praises, hey, God is greater than anything else. In verse 11, he sees, I've thought previously about who God is and what that means, but this totally changes everything. I need to be growing in this. I, this is going to change the way that I live. So as we've been justified, now we are in the process of being sanctified. As Jethro says, I see what God has done. I see how that changes everything about me. And guys, the last piece, our salvation is not just something that we have right now. It's also something we are awaiting as we are pursuing Christ, we await the inheritance of a, a full communion with God. It gets even better than what we currently have right now. This is what we would call glorification. That is, Jethro understands who God is and what he's done and that that's going to change him. He gets to be brought into the house of Israel. He gets to offer the sacrifice that brings him into the presence of God in verse 12. Guys, this this full picture of salvation, this full picture of what the Messiah does, it, it changes the way we ought to think about Christ. And it leads us to understand man, God has sent his Messiah to lead us to glorify him. That in every, every part of our lives, every interaction we have, every relationship we have, when we go to work, when we go to school, in our marriages, in our homes, everywhere, we are trying to bring glory to our God because of who we see his Messiah to be. And if that wasn't enough, because that is a lot for us, the story continues. And now we see Jethro give some, some father-in-law advice to his son Moses, and it reveals another part to this puzzle of what has God sent his Messiah to do. God has sent his Messiah to lead us to glorify him. But the second piece here, he sent his Messiah to reconcile us as his image bearers, to bring us back into a right place with him so that we would then reflect who he is. If you look at the last half of chapter 18, beginning in verse 13, you see that after Moses and Jethro have caught up a little bit, Jethro wakes up the next morning, goes out and finds Moses in the middle of a crowd of all the Israelites gathered around him in verse 13. And he asked Moses, uh, what are you doing? And Moses tells him, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm acting as God's judge for the people, right? They, they're coming to me with their problems. I'm telling them uh, the statutes and the laws. So based off of who God is and what he's done, this is what you ought to do. He tells this to Jethro in verses 14 through 16. And you almost get the impression that he's not showing off to his father-in-law, but he's, he's feeling confident in what he's doing. Like, hey, Jethro, like, look at this. Look at, look at all I'm able to do for the people of Israel. Look at the responsibility they've given to me. And he's, he's probably feeling what I would feel if your father-in-law looks at you and says, what you are doing is not good. 
that Jethro comes right out and tells Moses in verse 17, you, it, I get what you're trying to do, and it might make sense to you, but what you are doing is not good. He says, and why is it not good in verses 18 and 19? It's going to wear everybody out. It's a burden you can't bear alone, Moses. And in the end, it's not going to accomplish what you are hoping it will accomplish. So look, at, look now in verses 19 through 23. Here's, here's what Jethro tells Moses to do instead. As a good father-in-law, he doesn't just rebuke his son-in-law. He also then tells him what to do afterwards. He tells him in verse 19, Moses, you are to represent the people before God, to bring their cases to God. In verse 20, he reminds Moses, hey, you need to be, you know, continue reminding Israel what you're doing. Continue reminding Israel of, your, of God's statutes and laws. Continue to teach them of how to obey God's will and God's nature in their daily lives. In verse 21 through 22, he, he adds something else for Moses to do. He says, hey, look amongst you. See the, the men in your, your nation that really fear God, that, that when you look at them, you see the fruit of who God is in their lives. And, and Moses, I need you to set them apart so that they can act on your behalf among the people. And verse 23, Jethro tells Moses, the reward for doing this will be Israel coming to follow God's direction. And this, this wonderful phrase at the end of 23, they will go to their place in peace. That as they are now walking in step with God, they will be at peace with God and they will be at peace with others. In verse 24 through 27, you see Moses listens to the voice of his father-in-law. He does everything Jethro told him. And surprise, Jethro was right. Everything Jethro told Moses comes true. Moses is able to set apart men who do faithfully reflect Moses to the people of Israel and the people come to know God, and they go from their place in peace. So what, what does Jethro's advice teach us about Moses and the Messiah? And this is where I'm going to invite you to, just for a second, to, to put your, your Hebrew scholar caps on, okay? Because there, there are times in Scripture where our English translation really doesn't do justice to what the original language is telling us. And, and this... This section in particular is one where that there's, there's a, not an issue, but our translation just doesn't do the Hebrew justice, especially in verse 19, where you guys see the phrase, represent the people before God. Your translations may actually say something totally different because there's, there's been a lot of questions as to, well, what is, what is he actually saying there? If you were to read the Hebrew, the, the literal, what it says where our English says, represent the people before God, there's no verb that says represent in Hebrew. It literally says, you before the people, before God. Jethro tells Moses, you, Moses, be for the people, before God. Kind of the picture of an advocate, of a representative, which is where the English comes in. But, but literally, it's, it's powerful. Just be for the people before God. The Hebrew noun that's translated as cases, also in that verse, is a word. It's a common noun, but it, it's hardly ever translated as cases. Devar is more commonly translated as word. Just the the words, the words we speak, the written word. And what do we do with our, our words? We communicate what is going on. 
So Moses is being told to bring the testimony, the word of what is going on in the people before God. And as Moses does this in verse 20, you can see that clearly the context of what Moses is doing in judging the people because things aren't right, this word that he's bringing to God on behalf of the people is not a great word. It's a word reflecting the brokenness, the unrighteousness that the people of Israel are dealing with. And so as he's bringing this word to God, he's also trying to make known to the Israelites who God is and what he expects of his people in verse 20, so that they may go from their place at peace with God at verse 23. So here's the picture of what is going on from our Hebrew understanding. Moses is being told by his father-in-law to bring the mess bring the brokenness, the unrighteousness of the people to bring that to God. He's being told to be before God for the people, to stand in between the people and God, and that as he does this, they're going to be brought into knowing who God is so that they can then go at peace with God. Guys, what, what does this sound like? This is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has brought our brokenness and our unrighteousness, our uncleanliness, our sin before God. He has stood between God and us on our behalf, advocating for us. As, as the, our English would say here, representing us. This is a picture of our reconciliation. This is Jethro understanding and giving us a glimpse into what would God have his Messiah do. His Messiah would be the one who would bring us back into a right relationship with God, who would restore us, who would redeem us, who would reconcile us. And if that was not enough, although it is, God sent his Messiah not just to reconcile us, but to lead us to bear his image. Jethro also calls Moses to set aside men who would fear God and who would reflect Moses on behalf of, of Moses before Israel. That, that Moses needed to qualify men in order to represent him among the people. This is what we, we see this in Christ too, right? When, when he came, he chose 12 whom he himself would qualify in the gift of the Holy Spirit and in the life of discipleship with them. He chose 12 that would, that would spend years learning who he was, watching him in action, and then as he leaves, he commanded them to go and do likewise. And then, if you read into the very beginning of Acts, he actually tells them, before you go and do likewise, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. Once you've received the Holy Spirit, then get out there. So he has done exactly what Moses has done in, in setting aside men who would learn everything about him, who would reflect him before the people, and then he physically qualifies them to go and do the work by giving them himself the Holy Spirit. Guys, you and I as followers of Christ have a very similar story to this. If we have been reconciled, brought back into a right standing with God, we have also been qualified through the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have received to go and bear God's image, to lead others, to glorify God. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, so he's, he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to believers, therefore, brothers, therefore, New River Fellowship, 
Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, since we can stand in the presence of God because of what Christ has done, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, so through what Jesus has done, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what do we do? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus has made us right with God. God has sent his Messiah to reconcile us to himself. Therefore, we ought to draw near to him with a confidence guys, the language that we hear talking about the church in our community, never really one of confidence. We need to draw near to our Father with a confident faith. And as we work on this, what does this practically lead us to do? Author of Hebrews continues in chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering the confidence again, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is, you and I draw near to God. It's going to transform us to bear his image, and it's going to physically lead us to lead others to bear God's image as well. And guys, because we see that this is the work that God sent his Messiah to do, this this gives us a little bit of a roadmap for where we see then what ought to be the work that we as a church undertake. You heard about this back on the 27th that we've been really praying and, and focusing on what does this look like, and we've started to put this into action. We have our community groups. Right? It gives us intentional times in the word and in prayer to build up our confidence in the faith. And if you're not a part of our community group, I encourage you guys, help come be a part of this so you can help draw near and be with others drawing near to God. Our ID groups, if, if, if you weren't here on the 27th or if you've forgotten why we call them ID groups, ID it sounds like identity, which also works for the name of the group, but ID is short for Amago Dei, which is the beautiful Latin phrase, the image of God. We have these groups that are intentional times and spaces to encourage us in bearing God's image, literally, to encourage us as we are, we are walking this together. Our, our partnership with Agape, which, which uh, Kim, not to put you on the spot, but if you can come up and share real quick about what Agape is doing in the next uh, two weeks, we have some unique ways that we get to partner with them, and Kim will share at the end of the service, to, to give us a place to practice and to stir up and encourage one another in these good works that we're called to do in Hebrews. Our connections ministry, guys, we, if we need to develop relationships, we have to be intentional about doing that. So we've identified we need to, as a ministry, develop relationships with others as they're coming into our church and keeping up with them to draw them into the family so that they can see we are a people learning to glorify God and we can grow with them to lead them to glorify God. Guys, all of, all of this fits together and we engage in this work because we see, at least, at least from this text this morning, the picture of the Messiah. God sent his Messiah to lead us to glorify him and he sent his Messiah to reconcile us as his image bears. Now we're going to build off of that in the coming weeks and then we're going to see it literally practically play out as we move through the book of Colossians. 
But guys, I, I, as we close, I, I want to just remind you of our, our mission, our vision, our values, and extend the invitation. Guys, if you believe in this, I am grateful that you come. But would you join us in, in, in membership? If you've joined us in membership already, join us in our ministries as we are trying our best to live this out. Because as we see this, we see we need to be a community on mission, submitted to Christ and committed to disciple making. And when we talk about discipleship, disciple making a disciple, what is a disciple? We said as a church, we see a disciple as a devoted, developing, deployed follower of Jesus Christ. This is who we were made to be. We follow this mission by our, our vision, loving as Christ, learning from Christ, living in Christ. This is kind of the framework we want all of the stuff we do to fit under. And, and the values that we do to help us accomplish this, we value Christ as our life, reconciliation to God and others, sharing and experiencing God, the transformational unity in Christ and the Spirit, the image of God, and the power of prayer. So as, as you reflect this morning on Man, do I, need to, do I need to join a ministry here to plug in deeper, to actually kind of take this work and make it my own, to get involved in this work? If it's to just commit to, to being a member and to saying, okay, that is the direction I want to go. And I want to do that here with this group of people. Guys, come, come see me after the service, okay? I would love to get to talk with you more about next steps. And, and as we... We reflect this morning, guys, join, join with me in prayer, and, and John and I will, will lead in one final song. This morning we pray, O oh Lord God, you have commanded me to believe in Jesus, and I would flee to no other refuge, wash in no other fountain, build on no other foundation, receive from no other fullness, rest in no other belief. His water and blood were not severed in their flow at the cross. May they never be separated in my creed, my life, and my experiences. May I be equally convinced of the guilt and the pollution of sin. May I feel my need of a prince and of a savior. May I implore of him repentance as well as forgiveness. Implore of him to love holiness and to be pure in heart. May I have the mind of Jesus and tread in his steps. Let me not be at my own disposal, but rejoice that I am under the care of one who is too wise to err, too kind to injure, too tender to crush. May I scandalize none by my temper and conduct, but may I recommend and endear Christ to all around. May I bestow good on everyone as circumstances permit. And may I decline no opportunity of usefulness. Father, grant that I may value my substance, not as the medium of pride and luxury, but as the means of my support and stewardship. Help me to guide my affections with discretion, to owe no man anything, to be able to give to him that needeth, to feel it my duty and my pleasure to be merciful and forgiving, to show the world the likeness of Jesus. Amen.